All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Business of Fitness Podcast. I'm Jason Cleep. We have a very special guest that I've known for actually quite a while now. And uh, Raz was with us from Flowwater. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. We're in the, the back uh, porch, we should say, of our uh, newest uh, gym location, Campbell, right? So you might hear some background noise of our members having a good time. And uh, I appreciate you coming down. I know you currently live in... Uh, San Mateo. San Mateo. And, and Denver. And Denver. A split time. Oh my God, I need to hear more about this. So I met Raz years ago. And he introduced me to a product that I'm a huge fan of. And I would actually call it a product and a service. Because the product, because it you know, basically is in our gym as, as something that actually stands there. But it's a service because it makes sure that our members get hydrated on a regular basis. And it's a phenomenal tool. So if you don't know what Flow Water is, check it out. But more importantly, I want to talk to Raz about the business of fitness. Because he's heavily involved in it and involved in other areas because he tries to get his product uh, or service, I should say, in many different verticals, which I want to talk about today. So we're going to do a 20 to 25 minute AMRAP with Raz, and we're going to talk about uh, flow water. We're going to talk about expanding it. We're going to talk about what he's learned about equity, taking on investment, taking on partners, giving up stuff, um, the good, the bad, you know, and the ugly. Sounds Let's good. Let's do it. All right. Here I we love go. it. We start in three, two, one, and let's go. So, Raz, years ago I met you, and um, Wyatt was the original founder of Flow Water. You came in as the CEO. And so, in the beginning, it was just you guys? It or? was just us. So, Wyatt had started the company out in Hawaii and uh, moved to San Francisco, was looking for a business partner, was looking for another co-founder and also someone that could run the company with him. And uh, that was five years ago. Gosh, I met him five years ago in January, but we kind of really started it with our first round, our first significant round of angel capitalization of roughly a million dollars in uh, June 2013, five years ago. Five years ago. Okay, yeah. so so before you met, so Wyatt, I mean, he's something else, right? He was really a firm believer in removing plastic, right? Absolutely. I remember he was very passionate. Yeah, he was, absolutely. He was 100%. Now, before you met him, what were you doing that enabled you to raise a million dollars in, in, in funding. I mean, what was your background before that? Uh, so just kind of the quick, the quick version of it is I kind of atypically for Silicon Valley started it at some fortune 500 companies. I worked at Johnson and Johnson, Eli Lilly was back in the, uh, gosh, mid to late nineties. And, uh, gosh, when I, I think back to when I was 22 and I was graduating college at a small school in Indiana, and I, you know, my goal was to be the president of J and J, and I ended up finding out that I ended up having a lot more entrepreneurial DNA uh, than I did corporate DNA. So I did all right at the corporate gig, but I ended up uh, moving also to the natural product side. So I got a little disenfranchised with kind of conventional pharmacological therapy, and you know, hitting everything with a sledgehammer, and ended up running a couple of natural product companies years later. Um, and then I ran a couple tech companies as well. Ran a tech company in New York City, a Groupon living social competitor huh. called Dealon, and uh, we built a you platform. Ran that? I did. So it was a company. It was the number three deal e-commerce company in the market. Uh, but there was a pretty big dis, dis, uh, distance between number two and number three. <laughs> okay. But we were probably the best, one of the best return on, on on invested equity outcomes for investors as well. So we did not raise much money for that deal. We raised. Uh, Gosh, we raised a little over a million dollars. We sold it for $10 million within 10 months. So we wow. had a really quick exit on that. Then I ran another uh, uh, kind of failed e-commerce company. I, I was recruited by the investors in Silicon Valley. 
to come out to SF around eight years ago and uh, took that over. I took over a company that was burning, I don't know, like it was something like 700K a month. What? Uh, yeah, we're, it was burning, insane. no business model, burning profuse amounts of cash, 100 employees. Um, I effectively came in and, you know, we gutted it. I let go of 80 people in the first two months. Needless to say, I wasn't exactly I was not for the first so couple months, but then we ended up rebooting it, building a new technology platform, totally new business model, ended up selling that about a year later, year and a half later. So you go into this company, right? And at the time you'd had previous backgrounds and you kind of came in, you were, you're kind of like a Henchman, like, I mean, you just went in there and you were, you, you were reducing the fat, right? You, I was, you had to. I did. I mean, when you have, I think this is one of the things, it's probably, it's probably not unlike competing for a race or CrossFit games or studying for a test. But, you know, as you get closer to the finish line, you start, in terms of training, when you get closer to the actual event, yeah. you start amplifying your training. Um, and part of the challenge that I think that people have in starting companies and running companies is you, you feel like you have more distance than you really do, right? So when you're a year out from having a launch, like the pace is quick, it's brisk, but it's nowhere nearly as brisk as a month pre-launch, right? Because right? right, right. like then your hair is on fire and like shit's hitting the fan and you're like, we don't need this feature. We got to get this done with more resources. And so, you know, one of the things that I learned through running various startup companies and then working in a variety of ex executive capacities earlier on in my career in startup companies is um, you, have to, you have to move in some ways as briskly 6, 9, 12, 24 months out because you know that, like, tipping point is coming or that conclusion point or that moment of truth when you're going to the market or you're launching the product or... Right you run out of runway and you've got a limited amount of cash and you got to go. So, um, yeah, the thing that actually got me out to San Francisco was a deal where I did not quite know what I was getting into and it, I didn't know it was as dire, but once I got into it, I had to be super surgical about it. And you just, you just had to let people go. I did. I let, I, I, it was really, really tough. It's the, I think anyone that runs a company, probably one of the most important things that you do, but one of the most difficult things that you do is having to hire a fire. But, yeah. you know, particularly the firing is, it's difficult. Uh, and, and, and it's, I, I've never, I've never gone through one. I've had some people that I'm not necessarily, you know, that I've not exactly connected with yeah. that were not great for the organization. But even when it's that situation, uh, it's the worst thing. You know, they've well, got so families, you've got Yes, let's talk trust. about that. I mean, we like to say, you know, Hire slow, fire fast. Yeah. We like to say that, but we don't do that, right? It's 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 a lot tougher than it sounds. And so when you came on, you were basically in a position where if you didn't do this, your company was going to go under. Is that? Is yeah, that, that was. And, and by the way, this is the prior company. Just right. to be clear, yeah, yeah. right? This is yeah. what, what I was doing immediately before Flowwater. Um, absolutely. I mean, we had limited amount of cash. Gosh, we had. When I arrived, there was something. There were, there was supposedly a $8 million investment that was coming and that was forthcoming. And then uh, I arrived and it was really clear that that, you know, I, I moved out here and kind of put all my chips into it. And uh, it was really clear that we weren't going to the capital that we thought we were going to get, that we didn't have a business model that was fund worthy. Uh, and then we, we had a great, great team of people. We just didn't have the right team for the new model in, in its entirety. So I pared it down to like 15, 16 people. And that's the only company I generally am not, I, I enjoy doing turnarounds, but I would much rather grow and build stuff rather than like restructure stuff. And uh, that's the first and only company that I've ever worked in and run where I didn't hire one person. I just ended up gutting and cutting 
and whittling away. And I yeah. got it down to this core group. And usually the core group has a hard time making that transition because you got this new guy coming in and you know, they've got different faculties, different skills, different objectives. And we were, I, I think I ended with 16 or 17 people and they were amazing. They totally, totally rallied uh, around me, around the team. They delivered, they over delivered in every capacity. And um, so anyway. Well, well, we, well, let me ask you this one more question on this company. We'll move on. Yeah. But, you know, if you were to give any advice, it, it's very hard to come in and, and let people go, especially when you don't necessarily, like, if your back's up against the wall and you have to let go of 50, 30, 40, 10, 2 people, of course you need to do it, right? Right. But at that point, like, if, you're, if you don't have to, have to, have to, but, but everybody knows it's for the best of the company. Right. I mean, what, what is, I mean, I guess, how, do, how does someone who's a gym owner or a business owner, they know there's a, for lack of a better term, like a cancer of an employee who's maybe negatively impacting others or people realize they're not pulling their weight. And I mean, that could be detrimental to the atmosphere, the vibes, everything. Cause then people see it. This is okay. Right. Um, I, I guess my question to you would be like, what do you tell yourself that you just got to do what you got to do? Right. I mean, how, how does, how do you turn it from personal to more business oriented and let the kind of take that cap off, you know? Right. I, it's a great, it's a great question. I think, you know, certainly it depends on the dynamics. I mean, in the situation that I just referred to, you know, I've got other situations as it relates to employees that are non-performers, that are cancerous organization or whatever it was that might relate a little bit more to that question. In some situations, you have to be really surgical about does this fit with the strategy? Does this fit with our fundraising? Does this fit with the cash flow? Does it fit with the unit economics, market economics, the revenue run rate, all that stuff? Um, those in some ways are a little bit easier in, in, in some capacities, there's a, there's a saying which is uh, when 10,000, it goes back to one of the wars, I believe, many, many, many years ago, but it, it was when a thousand people die, excuse me, when one person dies, it's a tragedy. When a thousand people die, it's a statistic or something like that. So in some ways, doing these things in bigger quantities, is, it, makes it, easier. it does make it a little bit easier yeah. because it's less personal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like we have a material business issue here. This unit is yeah. not functioning. We have to do it. I think the harder ones are, and this is the real, um, this is the real issue that I think a lot of CEOs, a lot of founders, a lot of co-founders, a lot of entrepreneurs deal with is you've got one or two people and you want to try to run something that's democratic. So I, 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 don't, I don't have everyone vote on everything, but I do let everyone voice everything. They can voice right. anything. They can disagree with me. At the end of the day, though, when I call it, I expect us to go in that direction. But more often than not, I'll probably modify my opinion or I'll modify the decision just based on collective of input. Course. Um, the problem is that when you do, and most people do try to run a company that way in a business and in, in a gym, the problem is that when you allow someone that's a non-performer to have a voice, it fucks everything up because right. you now you have, have resentment from other people you too. Get, yeah, you get resentment and then like you're giving equal parity to it or they've got equal stage time or equal communication time. And also it sometimes it's just bad advice. Like they're not right. bought into it. They don't have the same values. They're not totally aligned. They don't, it's not in part of your tribe. And I think that's one of the real challenges. It's particularly hard when they're good people and they're really nice. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the most difficult part, but I think the way that I look at it is, um, you know, when you're starting a business, you're in a lifeboat, you're out on the ocean and everybody has got to be a competent rower. And if they're not a competent rower, they're jeopardizing your survival. And it's yeah. that simple. It's that it's, you have to be, you know, you have to look at it that brutally. And I don't 
mean that to sound like you need to be brutal yeah, about yeah, it, yeah. but you do need to be surgical about it. You do need to be thoughtful about it. And I think one of the other issues is that when you're small and you don't have a backup, you don't have a contingency plan, you don't have a plan B individual, or you only have three or five people that are working your gym or your company or whatever it is, to some degree, some help is better than no help, right? Because you're just firefighting. Yep, and you're trying yep, to yep. raise money and you're trying to get customers and you're dealing with payroll and you've got benefits and you've got you know strategy questions and you've got execution questions and issues. So then trying to figure out how do I like deal with these chess pieces on the board along with all these other dynamics that are going on, it becomes easy or tempting to kick that can down the road. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it becomes very tempting. Like, oh, let's, you know, hey, we know this person is a problem, but we have these other problems or even bigger problems. We have these other things that are going on. Right. Let's just reevaluate that in, right. in, in a month or two. Right. And then a month two becomes like six, six months. months and, then, and, and, and then it becomes endemic into the culture because what happens is, I mean, I, I, I don't want to necessarily give a specific instance on this, but um, I've, I've made that, that the, the, the worst mistake that I've made in my career is over allowing that or being overly patient. I, what I've learned about myself, most people would not describe me as a patient individual. However, I have learned that I'm generally too patient with hires because I want to believe in them. I think I can, yeah. I think and I you can see like a sign, like, like you see like one step forward and then you're like, right. ah, damn it. It's five steps back. And I, I guess, you know, the long and short of this conversation is obviously when it comes to hiring and firing, when it comes to staff, you know, to your point, you're on a lifeboat, you're on a team. And if you're on a sport team, right, there's people that get cut. And the reality of the situation is that if you want to be the, you don't need to necessarily be the star player all the time, but you need to be able to pull your weight and be moving in the right, same direction. Right. And if you're not, you're doing like, you're doing a disservice for the company. If like, for example, if an, if an employee is not happy, right, they should just, you know, find something that makes them happy, right? And and if an employer is not happy with that person, yeah. they, need, they need to figure it out. And I think sometimes, and you know, every company has this problem. I think sometimes people just find, fall into the status quo. And I think it's actually better for both individuals, right? We've had situations where people have left and they've gone on to pursue things that really brought happiness, more happiness than where they're mm -hmm. at. But it took them having to realize that and be okay with moving on instead of staying as comfortable, right? And I think that's a great point because I, I, I sometimes say when I'm talking internally with people, um, when I have to go through the termination process, uh, you know, I'll describe it as I am going to go and release that person to let them go on to become their highest and best somewhere else. And sometimes people think I'm being facetious no, about it, but really... No, it's, it's the truth. It is the truth. Because when, when, when you know, right, because if they feel like for, if there's any animosity, any resentment built up between them and the company, they're not going to go out there and do their best work anyways. And so I think, you know, that's something we could all learn, and myself included, just to kind of reflect on that and just realize that, you know, it's the sport of business. And ultimately, you have a team. And is that team going to get you to where you want to get to? And the team that got you to where you're at today might not be the same team. And speaking of that, let's talk about Flowwater. So you met Wyatt. You, you raised a million dollars. Now, we have not had anybody on this show that's raised millions of dollars uh, you know, at least we haven't spoken about it. So, so tell me, what does that process look like? And do you think, what are the pros and cons of raising money? Because right. you're going to be a phenomenal person to ask that about. Uh, well, so just a little bit of a backdrop on this. Uh, life to date with Flowwater over the last five years, so we've raised roughly $8 million. Um, so we raised a million in a, and prior to the seed round, Wyatt had raised a friends and family round a couple hundred thousand dollars. 
and then um, why I initiated and raised a lot, uh, most of, and, and effectively all of the original seed round as I was coming on board and getting to know him and joining a, a, you know, him in this journey. Right. And then since then, I've gone out and spearheaded the rest of the raises. So we raised, uh, you know, seed pro, uh, seed prime, uh, series A1, series A2, just finished a bridge round. Now, if go. you guys are listening, you don't know what any of those are. <laughs> Frankly, I'd probably have to Google them too. <laughs> anyway, it's various rounds of funding. So yeah. it's really effectively just stages of funding. And uh, then we're going to go out and raise a $10 million series, eight to $10 million series B this fall or uh, in Q1 of and, this and year. And just in layman's terms. Yeah. What do each one mean and what is the difference in that? Yeah. Um, it's all, most of it is in the form of either equity or a convertible note. So it's effectively debt that converts into equity at a point of financing. And uh, seed is generally your first money. So, you know, these guys like Airbnb, when they started, you know, however many years ago, eight years ago, they raised a seed round of however many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Typical recipe, particularly in the tech sector in Silicon Valley, is you might go out, raise friends and family, or raise a couple hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, get a proof of concept going. You get that proof of concept, and they say, okay, you know, let's determine the market viability and will the dogs eat the dog food? And you go raise uh, potentially a series A or a seed plus. So effectively when people describe the various rounds of funding, seed, series A, series B, series C, uh, it really signifies a lot, A, the amount of the capitalization uh, in terms of dollars, uh, B, generally who the investors are. So early investors are generally angels, right? And they're putting yeah. in friends and family and right. uh, angels that are part of AngelList or whatever. And then uh, later stage institutional funding. So, you know, A, B, and C, oftentimes venture capital, and then downstream from there, uh, you go into private equity and traditional debt, or there might be various forms of like venture debt. So I've done most of those uh, with Flowwater as well as otherwise. I think one of the things that you gotta be prepared for when you're, you know, the pros and cons of raising capital. I mean, one of the, one of the pros is if you have something you know, if you have something that you think is a really big market idea, and there's a, a huge TAM, uh, T-A-M, total addressable market, and you have a concept and you believe you can execute upon it, uh, ultimately, you know, the, the, the thinking kind of boils down to, hey, I'd be better off racing to get to the market, to grow with before strategic, somebody else before does. somebody else does, and I'd rather have a big piece of, a, a, sorry, a small piece of a big pie rather than, the entire pie myself, but it's just my building or my so, backyard. So let's talk about that. So, okay, Wyatt comes in. He's kind of like the initial passion. He want to get rid of bottled water. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, flow water is, well, why don't you tell us in, in you know, 30-second clip, what's yep. flow water? Uh, flow water is uh, what we believe is the world's best tasting water. So we can take any tap water, any potable water source anywhere in the world, including uh, in places that are depraved in the United States, like uh, Flint, Michigan. Uh, and completely transform that water and remove all the pollutants, pharmaceuticals, herbicides, pesticides, chlorine, chloramines, TDS, and then revitalize that water with electrolytes, alkalinity, oxygenation, and dispense on tap effectively using a machine. It's a six foot tall machine that is almost like a little micro bottling plant. So it hooks yeah. up at any water line. So it's effectively what we're building as a decentralized water distribution platform. And my vision is that we have flow water where every consumer works, rests, and plays. And right now, we're focusing primarily on B2B, but eventually we'll move into the consumer segment and then also into commercial applications as well with water as a source ingredient. Um, so that's effectively, and, and fitness is a really big part of where we started. Yeah, of course. I mean, in fact, if you look at the bios of all of our team uh, and my, my employees, 
they're all amateur athletes. I mean, some of them are, are former like collegiate athletes. I don't have any, I don't have any Jason Kalipas on my oh, team. I'm like really like badass competitors, but I have some really fierce competitors and uh, they all share a general passion around fitness and why it did, I did. Uh, and part of what drove me into this too, quite frankly, is uh, I had also a bit of a personal transformation, partly largely through CrossFit, hydration and nutrition. And, uh, you know, I played football in college and then I got basically fat and tired and like was doing all sorts of dining out and not working out. And uh, before I knew it, gosh, I remember I was like 270. I'm, for context, I'm 190 yeah, yeah, pounds yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and I was 270 pounds at one point. And then I ended up, uh, you know, I always wanted to run a marathon. And I thought, gosh, I'm going to run a marathon next year. I'm going to run. I remember sitting in New York City, like 250 pounds, watching, drinking beer on Broadway, watching the marathon run by in like 2001 or 2000, thinking, oh, someday I'm going to do that. And every year I kept getting heavier. And finally, you know, I started to approach 40 and I was like, oh, shit, if I don't do this now, right. I'm never, well, yeah, when am I going to do yeah. it? So that, what drove a huge paradigm shift for me and they all intersected. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about CrossFit and flow water and hydration and nutrition is um, it totally changed my life. I mean, I started working out. Um, I had an eating regimen that I was able to follow that just made sense. Like I didn't realize that 70, 80% of this was really dietary intake. Oh yeah. And then I also, you know, one of the things that like really drew me into flow water was I've got two daughters, they're 15 and 16 now. Uh, and they were 10 and 11 when, um, you know, I started with a company and, and joined Wyatt. And I just became so disgusted by what effectively is, I think, a legalized form of drug dealing in the United States, which is just dumping sugar and artificial ingredients into food and, and, and consumer beverages um, that create li lifelong addictive behaviors that are very, very difficult to break. And I became really passionate about sodas and... Yeah, and soda and even Gatorade. Yeah. And, you know, it just it right. ends up being a intoxicating, difficult, you know, it's a legalized form of, of, of kind of drug distribution in a way. And I don't mean that to sound, you know, it's, not, <laughs> it's tended to sound polarizing. It's just I, for a lot of people, sugar is highly, highly addictive. Yeah, and I think, yeah. And so you became, you, you, you your vision was, okay, I want to get these units as many places as possible. Now we put them in our gym. We met and I'm a huge fan, obviously comes out cold, tastes great. And it's easy to use. And it looks really clean in our gym. So I'm a big fan. Now, when you raise the money, you, you raised it in the sense that, so I guess what you're trying to say is, Hey, if you have an idea that you believe is something special and you want to come to the market and you want to come to the market fast, it's a great opportunity to raise capital. Now that's a, that's a positive. But what would be the negatives about raising this capital? Because I imagine, you know, as soon as you take money from people, you have obligations. As soon as you take money from people, right. do you start to lose some control? Absolutely. How does that work? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, generally what happens is, you you know, you have 100% of the pie and then you start to sell pieces of the pie, right? And in exchange of pieces of the pie and the company in the form of equity or convertible notes that convert into equity, uh, Generally speaking, people are going to want to have a board seat or they're going to want to, you to have a board of directors or some type of governance so that they know that there's a fiduciary level of oversight around the money that's being provided to you. And, that and this could be relevant relative to a small investment in a gym, a small investment in a donut shop or a big investment. in 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think this is it's, in my experience also is a lot of people say, oh, gosh, I don't like 
what I think a lot of people see as the con of raising money, I don't, it, it depends on what your perspective is. And so some people say, gosh, I don't want to give up control. I don't want to have other directors. Uh, I don't want people telling me what to do. Uh, you know, I think there's wisdom in a lot of advisors. I mean, it just, it would be, it would be kind of futile to argue that. And so if you find the right investors and they share the alignment around the vision and the mission, it does not mean that things are not potentially going to go sideways or it's like uh, any personal relationship or a marriage for that matter, which is it's not that you might not have or won't have very, very difficult circumstances and conversations and arguments. Um, it's whether you can work through those or right. not and you have enough alignment. And I think one of the great things that I've learned through, you know, both like sometimes doing it right and sometimes doing it wrong is um, the communication aspect with advisors where I see people sometimes go sideways on this is that they don't want to share enough transparency with their directors or their advisors about what's happening in the business. What are they struggling with? What's going well? What's not going well? Right. They always it's, want to share the good news. It's always like rainbows and unicorns. It is, and then and, until yeah. it's not, and then it's right. really not. And so I think one of the ways that, it, you know, I think building trust is is obviously, it's very difficult to do. It's very easy to, to erode it. It's very easy to break that down. But uh, as you're working with directors and investors, being able to share transparently, here's how things are going, here's what's working well, here's what's not working well, here's where we need help, here's where I need advisement. And, um, you know, I think, I think the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge and the biggest con that I see in raising capital and selling a part of your company, whether it's a gym or something else, is the alignment of the investment interests. So if somebody invests in a gym, and so for example, if you're raising money and you know you want to grow NorCal CrossFit and you're going to go get outside investors, if you get investors in, that all they want to do is flip it in two, three years and sell it to some big you know, national gym organization that's a billion dollar company and they're just trying to get liquidity. That is going to juxtapose probably dramatically, unless that's your exact same vision, right. what you think is the right thing to do in terms of building a team and building leadership and training and curating. Well, and, they're, they're looking for the exit, right? And right. so, you know, if you're, if you're taking on outside equity and you're, they're looking at it as a two-year investment and you're looking at this as a, as a lifetime commitment to, for example, a gym or whatever business you're looking at, those are completely different interests. And you treat the business completely differently because for us, we slow play it dial it in whatever whatever these guys boom 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 i want to i want to ramp it up as quickly as possible to get out as quickly as possible right totally and, I, different. and i and i do think one of the challenges is probably most investors particularly earlier particularly in silicon valley is they are making generally speaking an investment i mean no one no one's investing for for shits and giggles. I right. mean, they're all, everyone wants a return on their investing right. capital. Some people want to take a different path for that. You know, they want to have some meaning behind it or social good or wellness or a fitness impact or, you know, whatever sector they're interested in. But um, I think that some of that can be really healthy, which is there's some entrepreneurs uh, that just can't get going, right? I mean, one of the challenges, they want every single thing to be perfect. And one of the great things about investors and the accountability to investors is delivering on numbers and hitting your deadlines and yeah. achieving commitments. And I think I get that. if you find the right mix of people, um, you're I getting, think it'd be really you're, getting, you're getting pushed in a, in a supportive way. You're getting pushed a little bit. It's like having a coach. If you find a really good coach, right. they're going to support you the right way. Right? But you need a coach because you need someone to kind of encourage you. If you find a coach that's a complete jerk and is pushing you too hard, you might get injured or whatever, right? right? Very interesting analogy. I want to ask you, um, we're going to go over a few minutes, but I want to ask you just something. You know, I talk about um, AMRAP mentality, kind of trying to find balance between different things in your life and trying to stay present and focused and, you know, trying to 
evaluate every day how I'm doing as a husband, a father, a business owner. And I know you and I spoke last time, and I'd be curious to know, over all your years of business, and you're now what, in your 40s? 44. 44. Yeah. You've been in corporate America. You've started companies. Uh, you've been on boards. You've done this, done that. If you had to do it all over again, right, what could you say to someone who's 22 years old, just starting in the business, whether they're in corporate America or they're starting their business, about balance, lifestyle, is there such a thing? Would you have to go in all in in one area? Can you? Do you need to make sacrifices? I mean, if you were to do it all over again, what advice would you give to yourself yeah. when you're 22? Gosh, I think I think one is, you know, there's a very real, practical, and probable outcome that the price that you think you're willing to pay or say you're willing to pay will not be worth some of the unintended consequences, right? And so, I, I mean, I can just speak very transparently, openly from a personal experience of having been married for 17 years and going through a divorce during my flow water process a couple of years ago, um, while also dealing with some difficult internal stuff and capitalization and fundraising and growing the company. And I think one of the things that I did not realize is um, that my propensity for risk or uncertainty or work and giving up some other stuff uh, to get after that, that has to be shared, you know, among the two parties, right? If you're married, for example. And so uh, that would be one is to make sure that you've got really good alignment going into it because uh, you're going into something that has a high fatality rate in terms of like business outcomes. And it, al it also has, you know, a pretty high fatality rate as it relates to interpersonal relationships, relationships with your kids and relationships with your spouse. So, so if you were to do it over again, you would add more clarity early on that, hey, this can be a struggle for, for years, but are we aligned in this vision together? That, and then I would do a better job. It's just one of those things too, where, you know, it's so easy to look at it in arrears. And, it's always yeah, 20 I know it is, but there's so many times, I mean, like here would be, I, I think, you know, I laugh sometimes when I interview people and they're like, well, I don't have to work so hard because I work really smart. And I think that's such a crock of shit because everybody is working smart right now. I mean, anyone that's in the game, you have to assume that they're smart and they're competent and you're not working against bumbling fools. And maybe you are in some cases, but generally speaking, you have to assume being smart are table stakes. That's just what the cost yeah, of entry yeah, yeah, is, yeah. right? It's a little right. bit like competing at the games. Like right. there's no one they're that's just good. okay. They're right. going to be good. So work effort does, you know, like dialing in, I'm sure your nutrition and your workouts and getting that extra five or 10% that can be really meaningful in the same way as an entrepreneur. It can be really meaningful. I think it's having the discernment and the wisdom at times of when is that five to 10 or 20 extra percent really meaningful? Because when I look back at the times that I took phone calls during dinner, were they really deal makers or like deal breakers that I had to do versus just putting the freaking phone down and being totally present with my wife at the time and my two daughters? No, they weren't. I mean, I can think of times where I had to work till three or four or five in the morning, which I did regularly. I mean, I probably pulled all-nighters at least every two, three, four weeks for the first two, three years, periodically. Like, you know, yeah, every two, two to four weeks. That I look at and I'm like, no, I had to do that. And that was the cost of, you know, trying to be moderately smart and working really hard. There's a lot of stuff in the margins, though, I just didn't need to do. I could have walked away from. And I think having a level of discernment on what is really important right now? And so, I, in fact, I just did this exercise last week with my team at Flow, like Flowwater headquarters in Denver. We moved to the company, started in Silicon Valley, why incubated it in Hawaii, 
started it in Silicon Valley, incorporated uh, out, out here and in the state of Delaware, but started the business out here. I moved it to Denver a couple years ago, and so I was at the office with the executive team last week, and we we're working through a mid-year reset. And part of it was, what are the five things that we absolutely have to get done by the end of this year? And if it's not on this list, we're dropping it. Like, we're not talking about it. We're stopping team conversations about it because that those extraneous things jeopardize the five. It becomes noise. And that's what happens, I think, relationally, is you sometimes, for you know, family, kids, whatever it is. And in fact, I've, I've, I've had to make a very intentional effort, and it's, been a, it's probably been the most difficult thing that I've done is working on a restoration of my relationship with my daughters, uh, which is the most important thing to me on this physical earth. And uh, I've had to look at all these other things that possibly are distractions around that and say, no, that is my number one focus right now is like my work life, you know, my personal life in terms of developing myself, but then also my daughters. And everything else is, is, is jeopardizing those three objectives, right? And I have to look at it that way. And I think that would be the advice that I would give to myself. If I were 22, I, 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 would, I would- Opportunity cost, right? Like I, would, I would really counsel myself on the opportunity cost of it. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's, you know, the flip side is it's really hard to know because, you know, sometimes people are like, hey, would you do this again? Or would you just do Fortune 500 companies in okay. corporate America? I think I would have had other struggles if I just tried to stay and run the ranks at J&J and work yeah, my yeah, way yeah. up because um, I don't think I would have been able to captivate what I am naturally yeah, most good at. Yeah, you have an internal drive to do some more. And I think, I think what you're learning to, and boy, I could talk to you for days about business. But I think, <laughs> Sorry, no, no, I've consumed so much. Yeah, no, of it's this, okay. This I double think, AMRAP. I, I think what you're really, what you're really, what you're really sharing with me right now, which I think is powerful, is just, you know, I think sometimes people think about they see all these opportunities ahead of them right? Ourselves included, but they don't recognize the opportunity, the other opportunities that you have to give up for this opportunity mm -hmm. or, and those could be fine with time with family, time with your spouse. And I, I do, I, I get what you're saying, right? Is like, sit down, evaluate a few things that you're really looking to get done. And anything outside of that, they shouldn't even be conversations about it. Yes, exactly. You know, cause one of the problems speaking about staff, right? And I'm sure you have this problem, but if you're spending, you know, three hours a week talking about an employee because they're a problem, well, that's three hours a week that you could be talking about something that's going to benefit your business, move you forward, right? Same thing goes with picking items that aren't even on the docket, right? If you're talking about something that's just not going to move the needle, you got to put it aside and let's move on to something that's right. actually going to make an impact. So, I totally agree with that. Look, I got to tell you, it's been a pleasure. Cool. Um, if you guys have not checked out Flow Water, uh, what's the website? www.myflowwater.com, M Y. F-L-O-W-A-T-E-R.com, one W. If you're a gym owner, go check it out. If you want it for your office space, go check it out. Let these guys know. I am a huge fan of the product, and um, I appreciate you sitting down and talking about some business. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. It's been great to get to know you, Jason. Thank you. All right, guys. Go ahead and leave us some, uh, leave us some comments, leave us some reviews, give us a five-star rating, and have a great day.